pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Father God, Lord, I just, I, right now I come against every hindering spirit. God, anything that's dangling here, Father, anything that's mingling here, Father, any spirit here that doesn't need to be here, I command it to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, open our hearts and our ears, our minds, that we would hear from you and receive the word you have for us tonight, God, that would go down deep into us, Father, that we would be good soil and take root for you, for your kingdom, for your glory, in Jesus' name. So we are continuing in the book of Acts. And uh, uh, if you've missed anything, go back on Wednesday nights. They're all online. You can go back and you can follow with us where we're at. We're uh, in. Uh, we're starting tonight, chapter 20. Last week, uh, Pastor Jay talked about the assembly and how it became this lawful assembly and, and things broke out and, and uh, go listen to it. All right, so... It starts out with after the uproar had ceased, because there was an uproar. You have to go listen to the sermon to know what the uproar was about, though. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself. He embraced them, and he departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece, and he stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia, and Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. These are some great names, people, if you're pregnant. <laughs> These men going ahead awaited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Now, on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and were not a little comforted. So Luke is narrating here how Paul has left Ephesus, and having spent the best part of three years there during his third missionary expedition and traveled place to place until his final destination in, in Jerusalem. Now, let me give a little bit of history. Paul was traveling through this area, right? We see where he spent several months visiting the Macedonian churches he founded on his secondary, mission, his secondary missionary journey. So we see him going through Macedonia again. He's speaking words of encouragement to them. This is what Paul did. Paul arrives in Greece, where he stays three months. Now, Corinthian, the Corinthian church is in Greece, and so this is the part where you might have read 2 Corinthians. This is the time where Paul had a very painful visit to the Corinthian church. It's recorded in 2 Corinthians. It was also during this time that Paul wrote his letter to the Romans. See, and I love, see, I like history. And so I love this of how rich the Bible is when in this little part you see how much Paul did and how everything is just connected in the Bible. So Paul continues his travels and he's accompanied by several men from different regions. Luke joins them, perhaps in Philippi. 
These men being the fruit of his missionary efforts to various regions, you see that they're all from different areas, and so they're following him here. And they spend a week in Troas where only one incident is recorded. The dramatic sleep, fall, death, and resuscitation of a young man named Eutychus. They met on the first day of the week, verse 7. It says, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. So Luke is following here the Roman calendar that this is Sunday. And this is the earliest evidence we have for the Christian practice of gathering on a Sunday. Pretty interesting. It's all found in Acts. Yeah. The purpose of their assembly was to break bread, which we understood as the Lord's Supper. So it was in the context of a fellowship meal, right? This was their normal gathering for worship. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the following day, he kept talking. So it says he prolonged his address until midnight. The meeting began at sunset at the conclusion of their day's work. So it's the first day of the work. They had all gone to work that day. They come in. He's preaching till midnight. And this meeting was held in a private house on the third floor. And they had a bunch of lamps. So the atmosphere would become stuffy and oily from the lamps. There was not good circulation back then. Not very great ventilation. Okay. And we have uh, Eutychus was seated on a window ledge. Now he's called a young man, but in verse 12, it's rendered lad. So Eutychus was between the ages of 8 to 14. Kind of changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? He's 8 to 14, and the, the, the Greek says he was completely overcome by sleep, perhaps because he was... Uh, a, a young boy, which we know young kids can't stay up very late. Perhaps there was just too much oil and fumes in the room and that aided him in his sleep. And so he falls out the third story onto the ground. He didn't fall in because then he'd fall on the floor. He fell out onto the ground. So Paul suspends his sermon and rushes downstairs and like Elijah with the son of the widow at Zarephath and Elisha with the son of the Shunammite woman, right? Paul throws himself on the boy and brings him to life as if this is no small thing. Now, Luke is a doctor, so he records that the boy was dead. Paul brings him back to life, no small thing. The crowd goes back upstairs, partakes of the Lord's Supper, and then Paul continues his sermon again until daylight. So what can we take away from this story? Yeah, it's a lot. Luckily, I've had weeks to pray about it. So Luke, Luke here is describing to us what was going on, okay? And we say this, what the Bible describes is not always what the Bible prescribes. It's a descriptive account. And Luke is here at this time. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. He's, he's an eyewitness to what's going on here. Right? So he's describing this room and worship. And, you know, one of the first things I was like, we don't have a liberty to copy what took place, Right? We, 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 you know, everybody says, I want a New Testament church. Okay, well, let's assemble in a house on the third story. Let's meet in the evening and use oil lamps for light. 
listen to a long, lengthy sermon. (laughs) Sounds good. Right? The Bible's being descriptive here. So we're not supposed to follow exactly what they're doing. It's not prescribing how we worship because it omits things like speaking in tongues and prophecy and singing songs and praise and scripture reading. Right? right. We know all that. But it seems to appear they met on the Lord's Day for the Lord's Supper and this was a regularly scheduled meeting and practice in Troas. It was, it was something they did on a regular basis. They met on a regular basis. So in addition to this communion meal, there's a sermon that lasts from sunset to midnight and then from midnight to sunrise. Eutychus sat on a window ledge, perhaps because it was extremely crowded in the room, because it was really crowded and there was no other seating. Or maybe he was relegated to the window ledge because he's a lad, right? Hey, kid, go sit over there. Yeah. <sighs> sit up there. And Luke uses medical language when he's describing Eutychus falling into sleep. It's very clear that Luke is not condemning the young boy for falling asleep. I've heard, I, you know, as in studying this, I was looking through all these things and there were some sermons are like, don't fall asleep in church. I'm like, well, my grandma used to fall asleep in church all the time and she still got saved. <laughs> Something went in at some point. <laughs> Well, that's not what struck me in this story. Here's what the Lord showed me. Paul stops his sermon. He goes down. He heals the boy. And he goes back up. And he continues to minister the word of God. Because Paul wasn't going to let anything distract him from preaching the word of God. There's nothing that should stop us from the word of God going forth. There's nothing that should stop us from the word of God going forth. I was in a, uh, uh, a Joyce Meyer uh, meeting one time. This was probably about 10 years ago. And I remember this. And I, and I actually saw it because I was sitting in the back. And there was a lady walking up the stairs. And she fell down the stairs. And there was a big uh, hubbub going on, and it was in the middle of Joyce Meyer's preaching, and, and people were like calling to her, someone just fell, someone just fell, someone just fell. And so she stopped, and she prayed for them, and she said, she's taken care of, I'm here to preach the word. Yeah. And I was like, amen. <laughs> they, she was taken care of. Joyce was there to preach the word. Paul was there to preach the word. Now he went down and, and he revived, he resuscitated the, the young lad and he came back to life. But Paul was there to preach the word. I, I named this uh, sermon title. That sermon was such a snoozer. And we were in, uh, I asked my husband if I could share this story, and he was like, yeah, you can share it. <laughs> we were visiting family one time, and uh, this church, we, the church that we had attended, man, that pastor preached a really boring sermon. It was boring. 
And we walked away and we're like, oh my gosh, did you get anything out of that? I'm, I'm, I'm like, we were struggling. And I take notes and I'm trying to, you know, when I take notes and, I, and I'm trying hard to draw something out of my note taking, I'm like, what's going on? And we went back a couple, it was about a couple months later, we went back to the same church and this, this pastor this time was preaching, a, he was fired up this time. He's, he's preaching an evangelical message. He's just really fired up. So my husband gets in line to go greet him. You know, he just, he wants to encourage him. And so he gets up to him and he's like, man, pastor, that sermon was so good. It wasn't a snoozer like the one you preached last time I was here. <laughs> And I was like, honey, do you know what you said to that pastor? And he's like, I told him his sermon was good. I said, no, you told him his sermon was not a snoozer. Like, and he goes, oh my gosh. <laughs> so he got back in line to go greet the guy. <laughs> to apologize for what he did. <laughs> Paul's sermon was not a snoozer. <laughs> sermon was not a snoozer, but Paul was not going to let anything keep him from preaching God's word. Some think this was the enemy trying to stop Paul from preaching. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, it says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hinder us. So the enemy at times had frustrated Paul's missionary endeavors. In one city, right, Paul was stoned to death. Well, they thought he died. And then they came out and he walked back up and went back into the city. <laughs> right? And, and regardless of whether or not that was the enemy's work, Paul was not going to stop speaking God's word. Because we have a real enemy that seeks not only to still kill and destroy, but to hinder God's work of salvation in the earth. Yeah. First Thessalonians 3, 5 says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter has tempted you. And our labor might be in vain. Right? Here again, this is Paul's second reference to the activity of, of Satan in the Thessalonian church. It's his, second, it's his second reference to that. And Paul knew the reality of Satan and evil spirits. Folks, and we are in a real battle with a real enemy, whether or not you know it or whether or not you like it or whether or not you war against him. He is against you. And he hates us. And he seeks to stop God's word from going forth. Now, Satan is permitted by God to war against believers and hinder us from doing what we're called to do for the Lord. He's permitted. Ephesians 6, 11, 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Daniel ten thirteen. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this was a demonic spirit withstood me 21 days. So Daniel said a demonic presence, a demonic spirit withstood him 21 days. And behold, Michael, this is the archangel. One of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. 
Zechariah 3.1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So we see that Satan opposes God's work and God's workmen. He opposes it. Anytime the word is going forth, the enemy will oppose it. If you're doing nothing for the Lord and a church is dead, Satan will leave you alone. And the only thing that transforms lives is the preaching of the word that brings salvation. That's what transforms lives. The preaching of the word that brings salvation, the preaching of the cross, the preaching of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the remission of sins, the forgiveness and remission of sins through the blood of Christ. That is the only thing that brings life. It's the only thing that can, that can transform us from death into life. It's the only thing that can make a man be born again. You can go and feed the homeless and you will not be opposed. You can go do lots of works. There is a ton of humanitarian things out there that do good works. And Satan doesn't care. But start preaching the truth. Start building a church full of transformed saints that want to take down Satan's kingdom and the enemy will come in like a flood. Why? Because the word of God transforms. Satan's power is subject to God's overruling. We see in Job 1, 9 through 12, Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So, so we see that the enemy then is allowed, he's permitted to do things. Take it up with God. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, it says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we see here, right, is that God can certainly overrule anything Satan's Satan's activities and he can turn them into good for his kingdom. But Paul still did not let his thorn keep him from preaching the gospel. He had a thorn. It was from the enemy. God said, I'm not going to remove it. And Paul said, okay, I'm still going to do what you asked me to do. Satan's opposition can also be overcome. In Acts 16, it says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Right? Paul didn't stop preaching because he was annoyed. He could have. He could have just got annoyed and said, I'm done with this. But he confronted the, head, the enemy head on. So we see here, he had a thorn. He didn't get annoyed. They tried to kill him. He got back up. He went inside. A boy died. What else is going on with Paul? The kingdom of God advances only by confrontation with the powers of darkness and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are not called to be timid, nor are we called to be afraid. So what do we do when the enemy comes in? Isaiah 59, 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So the enemy is going to come in like a flood. That's what it says. The enemy comes in like a flood. But we now are to raise up a standard against the enemy. Right. First thing. That's my introduction. There's not much more left. We have to be aware that we're in a spiritual battle and that souls are at stake. Because here's, here's the thing. I think some people give the enemy too much credit. Oh, Satan made me do this. Same. And I was like, that's your flesh. You did what you wanted to do. Satan didn't make you do it. But here's the other side is that we don't take him seriously enough. We have a real enemy that's seeking to destroy us and hinder the preaching of the word. That's what he does. And we need to recognize that, that we are in a spiritual war. And Satan's not going to give up because you're annoyed. Realize you're in a spiritual battle. Next, you need to be sure you're living in obedience to the Lord. You, you, You will not fight off the enemy if you are living in disobedience to God. And the enemy will find every weakness or any unrepentant sin in your life to order an attack. Unchecked sin always opens the door for the enemy. You know, when we look at Judas, Judas was an adulterer. He wasn't a murderer, but he had a greedy heart. And that's what the enemy did is the enemy found that greed in his heart and he exploited it and and, and make no mistake the enemy's been around a lot longer than you have and he is a he's good at strategery he's watching humanity for thousands of years and he knows our weaknesses he knows he knows where we we misstep he knows those things he watches and he's going to exploit it at the right time if there's any ounce of rebellion in you if there's any place in your heart that seeks its own way and desire satan will use it to gain an advantage And he will hinder you and your ability to minister effectively for the Lord. 
In James 3.16, it says, For where envy and selfish and self-seeking ambition exist, so it's that self-seeking ambition exists, confusion and every evil thing is there. Anytime there's self-seeking, it's evil. And the enemy will exploit it. We have to fervently commit to God's truth and righteousness. And this is part of my daily prayer. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Make that a part of your everyday prayer life. God, where, where, is, where, where are those parts, God, that I'm keeping back from you? Where is the rebellion in me, God? Where is any wickedness in me, God? Let me not sin with my mouth, God. If there's anything, I'm telling you right now, I've, I, I've been a Christian for 25 years, and, and I've been in ministry 16 years. I've seen it time and time and time again. And I could tell you where someone was going to get hit. You have to have faith that Satan's power can be broken in any specific area of his domain and realize God has given us power to overcome. Believe God for a miracle. See, Paul didn't even miss a beat. He spoke a word of life healing over Eutychus and he knew God was in control and that Paul's ministry was not yet complete. He still had to go to Jerusalem. He, he, He didn't miss a beat. He went down, he knew, he knew about Elijah, he knew about Elijah, and he went down and prayed for the young man. Now by a miracle, the young man came to life, and you know, I, and I was even questioning, what if Eutychus would have died? Well, here's what happened, I think, I, I believe, because reading Paul's life, I believe he would have said, Luke, you take care of him, I gotta go preach. Yeah. Let Luke take care of it. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Paul had work to do. And people are not a promise, they're a privilege. I was reading about how the apostles died and the apostle Andrew, this is really interesting. The apostle Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. After seven soldiers whipped him severely, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when led to the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach for two days until he died. What is stopping us from preaching God's word? We have a faith worth dying for. We have a savior worth dying for. What is stopping us from preaching God's word? Is it a person? Shame on you. Nothing should stop us from preaching the word of God to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our jobs, everybody around us. We're not going to stop here at this church. You have to use your spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of warfare are not carnal. So he says, there's no carnal weapon that you have. There's nothing fleshly. There's nothing natural. 
but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to use our weapons, prayer and fasting before the distraction comes. Before the battle comes, you can't get ready in the midst of battle. Paul was ready and remained in a state of readiness. He says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself. There's a huge battle going on in our mind. Part of our spiritual warfare is controlling your thoughts, controlling your emotions, controlling your feelings, because these are faulty. If you don't control those, the enemy's going to run all over you. Know the word of God. This is your sword. Praying the word. Renew your mind to the word. Demons can influence our thoughts, emotions, and actions. And so for those that have not been delivered from old strongholds, you're going to go back. If you don't renew your mind, you're going to, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. If you don't renew your mind, according to God's word. Paul knew the word. He operated under the same power and authority of Elijah and Elisha. We are to wage intense spiritual warfare through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. We are supposed to go and set others free. If we have been freed, we're supposed to set others free. And the preaching of the cross has always been fatal to idolatry, rebellion, and wickedness. That's the only thing that overcomes. Pray in the Spirit. If you've never spoken in tongues, pray to speak in tongues. It's a beautiful language to pray in the Spirit of God. Actively drive out the enemy. Actively drive out the enemy out of your house, out of your family, and out of your church. We're to take authority over those things. He said, I have given you all authority over every demonic influence. So why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Cleanse your house. Go pray over your school. Pray over your kids' room, your kids' classrooms. Who's stopping you? You don't have to go in, you know, you, know, you don't have to go in there and Yeah. You know what? When Pastor Matt and I bought our house in Texas, and I remember this so clearly, we moved that day. You remember that, honey? And we were sitting there, and we had been unpacking and stuff like that. And we were just, I mean, we had had a good day, but like the longer we're in this house, the more we start bickering. We started bickering and bickering and bickering. And Matt goes, honey, I feel like we need to pray against some things. I feel like there's some things that's been in this house that we need to pray against. And so we started casting out the enemy. And, and my husband doesn't say things like that. And he says, I saw demons in the attic. He said, I saw them up there. And as soon as we began praying in Jesus' name, they left. Folks, we are in a real spiritual battle. Yes. These 
things are real. You can discount them and act like they don't exist, but they're real. They're real. real. The last part, you need to get up and take care of business. See, some of y'all are in a spiritual sleep and you cannot even recognize the attacks of the enemy. And this is your wake-up call. You've been lulled to sleep. You're about to fall. You better wake up. The enemy is after us. The time is short. And I don't know if you guys watch what's going on in the world. They're coming for the church. And what are you going to do? Like Paul, we need to realize that there will be interference to ministry. It's very clear. Paul had tons of interference in his ministry and the preaching of the word. But we need to stay the course and not get sidetracked. We need to not be distracted from what God has called us to do. We need to stop whining and complaining and throwing ourselves a pity party when we have a thorn in the flesh or somebody annoys us. Get up. Get up. Put on your armor. Are you a wimp or a warrior? You know, and God has shown me in this last season that the enemy doesn't need to destroy me. He only needs to render me ineffective for his kingdom. He doesn't have to destroy my life. If he just puts me in a position where I shut up, he's won. If he puts me in a position where I no longer attack the enemy, I no longer want to go share Christ with people, I no longer want to do the things for God that God's asked me to do, I no longer want to prophesy, I no longer want to do these things. If he gets me in a position where I'm weak and wounded, then he's already won. You better get up. This is a wake-up call. The enemy is angry. And he's coming down. He's coming after us. He's already after us. In Joshua, and I love this. I love this sermon in Joshua. This part portion of scripture. I'm going to read this. I'm going to end in this. So Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. They had just lost a battle. Joshua says, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us in the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content. He's throwing himself a pity party. And dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Can you hear Joshua? Can you hear him? He's whining. The enemy's just totally devoured them. And so the Lord says to Joshua, verse 10, Get up! Why are you lying on your face? Get up! God said this. God said this. Get up! Why are you lying on your face? Israel had sinned and they transgressed my covenant which I commanded them for they have taken some of the accursed things and have stolen and deceived and they have also put it on their own stuff. 
Therefore, the children of Israel couldn't stand before their enemies. There's that sin. But turn back, turn their backs before the enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. Verse 13. Get up! Verse 13. Is there verse 13? <laughs> verse 13. Verse 13. Get up! Thank you. Get up! Sanctify the people. Say, sanctify yourselves tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord of God Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. He says, Joshua, do what I ask you to do. Stop whining. Get up. You've got a job to do. I don't want to hear it. Is is God being insensitive? No. It's a word of encouragement. He's saying, Joshua, you're a mighty warrior. I've called you to this. I'm going to go with you. I told you I want to leave you. I told you I want to forsake you. I told you I'd be with you all the days of your life. Why are you sitting here complaining? Get up. Get up. Sermon's a snoozer. Russ, will you play some snoozing music for us? <laughs> I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. You know, if there's an area of your life where, where literally God is saying, get up, quit whining, go take care of the enemy. If there's sin in your life, take care of the sin, then go take care of the enemy. Stop being passive. The Lord has called us to take down the enemy. He doesn't take our kingdom. We we take over his. And don't listen to the lies of the enemy. If you are born again, you got the Holy Spirit inside you, you're a warrior. Do what he's asked you to do. Do what he's called you to do. Don't be timid and don't be afraid. If you need to respond to that, just respond right now. Just talk to the Lord. If you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to give you a a time to uh, know him. The Bible says that we are not good. And we cannot reach heaven without a mediator. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. His grace was shown on the cross. And we only get his grace if we accept the cross. He came that you might be completely forgiven of your sins and washed whiter than snow. You can actually be born again. You can actually have a new life in Jesus Christ and your old past will be under the blood of the Lamb. If you don't know Jesus, please raise your hand. If you would like someone to pray with you, someone will come and pray with you tonight to know the Lord. Maybe you know the Lord, but you've been far from him. You just want an opportunity to say, I, I want to come running back. If that's you, he's here. It says when the prodigal came to himself, he started walking back to the father. When the father saw him, he ran to him. 
If you need to come back to the Lord, if you've been far away, just tell him that. Say, Father, I'm coming back. And he, he, he will accept you as his son, as his daughter. To speak that to him. Father God, I thank you for this message tonight, Lord. Let us not be passive. Father, let us rise up and take down the enemy. Take down his kingdom for you, Lord. Let us go forth in your might and your power, God, that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us every weapon that we need to overcome, Father. Let us overcome that weapon of our mind, Father, and get it straight that we wouldn't believe the lies of the enemy, but believe your word and what you say and the authority you've given us, Father. We just thank you for this and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Get your kids!